Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's a Monday on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. Specifically, it's the Monday following the Friday when the U.S. Supreme Court stopped recognizing the right to abortion in this country, ending 50 years of precedent. Lots to talk about on that topic on this episode. I'm Chris Quinn. I am here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Layla Atassi. It's a Monday. You guys ready to start talking? Yeah, lots to talk about. All right. The U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade on Friday, rejecting a half century of precedents recognizing a woman's right to choose an abortion. Set off an immediate movement in Ohio to restrict or outlaw abortion. Laura, let's go through some of it. Okay, so Ohio is one of the states expected to make abortion illegal under most circumstances. We don't have a trigger law that automatically takes effect, but the state legislature could pass any anything anytime although they're on recess until november but already you cannot have a an abortion in this state after fetal heartbeat is detected because eight hours after after the ruling uh it was already granted the injunction was removed so that law which was passed uh, a couple of years ago is now in effect so um and and both uh, Matt Huffman and Bob Cup are for an abortion ban, so I, you you can only expect that that's coming. All right, let 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 let's stop there and and talk about this a little bit yeah. because Ohioans do not favor that. When no. any poll that's ever been done across America, the, there's there's a stronger sentiment, but in Ohio, the majority favor maintaining what was in existence under Roe v. Wade. So when Huffman, Cup, and DeWine are doing this, they are playing to the fringe part of their party, hoping to stay in office because they're going against the will of Ohioans. So, so they're going to do this. They're going to outlaw abortion, even though Ohio does not want that. What are the possible remedies to that? Well, we could have a referendum, right, where a citizen-led effort to put our own constitutional amendment on the ballot which voters could then decide to, to make abortion legal in Ohio. And obviously, you'd have to have a group to champion that. They'd have to get a lot of signatures, and then there'd be a vote. And what that amendment would entail is tricky. And we've talked about it in a special episode of Today in Ohio. It would likely give the right, but have um, kind of narrow it somewhat. I don't think it would pass if it was an out-and-out just you are allowed to do that. And you'd have to look at what the legislature could do to that amendment once it was passed. So you'd probably, you know, I I don't think it's going to come tomorrow. I think they're going to be taking some time to craft something that makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, I just wonder who's going to do it. The, the upshot of that episode, and we did get some very strong feedback from people asking us to have more podcasts like that, yes. was that, you yes, you should have, you should recognize a right to a woman's, a woman's uh, choice on the issue, but uh, with a limit that, that says, you know, up until this point and after that point, it should be a decision between the medical uh, the, the the patient and the doctor that there uh-huh. should be a concerns there, there, there was a very strong sentiment in that podcast that this really needs to be left to a woman and her doctor right that it ha- is a medical procedure and, and that ha- politicians yeah. are not medical experts yeah and how you fashion that is is the key the other thing you're seeing is a call on prosecutors to say they won't prosecute it uh, Rebecca Morrow, the city councilwoman, was on social media almost immediately saying, we need to hear from our prosecutors that they won't prosecute it. So, Layla, you've spent some time dealing with our prosecutor, Michael Malley, over the years, and the city prosecutor would have a say. Do you think we'll see anything from them saying, yeah, we're not prosecuting these cases? I, I, you know, I don't know. I can't speak for him, but, um, you know, I, I'm sure that our reporters are going are gonna to be following up to see if we can get him on the record to... Um, to to commit to 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 that position, he you can't not. see where this is a priority, right? I mean, we right. have a lot of violence issues. We we have all sorts of cases to prosecute. There's not enough police officers, probably not enough prosecutors. That this would be the the thing they go after. I know. Yeah. Right. But but what happens then when when um, when there are um, yeah, well, anyway? I I'm just beside myself. Okay. All right. I, I don't all know right. if I can. Um, so. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that. We got up on a Saturday morning. Lisa, mm-hmm. you said it for the podcast. You got up Saturday morning and you felt like you were in a different America. I did. And and the frightening thing to me is that what Clarence Thomas said, he said he's going after Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergfell next. Of course, Justice Alito right. said, oh, well, we've, this is just narrowly focused on abortion. But that door has been cracked open. And let's not forget, they knocked a huge brick out of the church versus state wall with a ruling last week that allows religious institutions to take taxpayer money, to, religious schools, to get taxpayer money while they are themselves tax exempt. So this seems like a plan that's been put in motion and I think we're only seeing the beginning of it and that's what really frightens me my gay friends are horribly frightened well what the thing that was most strange for me about the Thomas concurrence was the the idea of paving the way to outlaw contraception right, I mean, right. conservative Republicans want to have sex without having babies so <laughs> I don't get that what I mean that's not about life that's not about all of the arguments people use on abortion why on earth would you would you outlaw contraception which would lead to a flood of unwanted children and much higher health co- care costs for everybody insurance rates would go through the roof I just don't get that one I don't need it. Have you seen the viral letter to the editor that's going around that says, you know, if we're going to outlaw abortion and, you know, contraception could be next, then every child should be paternity tested and the father should be held as equally responsible for the upbringing and the cost of care of this child for the rest of their lives. I, I want to see that get passed, right? Not that I really think you should be forced paternity testing, but it makes you think about this is not a children take two, right? It's not just a woman. Right. Right. Well, look, you know, progress is not a straight line. Progress has lots of steps backward 
this this was a step backward. It's the first time the Supreme Court has overturned an established precedent that every one of these justices testified to to restrict rights. Usually when you overturn a precedent, it's to expand rights. Let's talk about Dave Yost. Yeah. Laura, you mentioned Dave Yost wasted no time at all. <laughs> no time. Minutes. Pushing in for the heartbeat bill, which in many ways is an outright abortion ban because most women or many women don't even know they're pregnant at that point. Right, because the earliest you could detect a fetal heartbeat is about six weeks. And just to do the basic you know, medical education here, you count it from a woman's period. So you're not even pregnant until you're two weeks pregnant. So you would have to be paying pretty close attention and make, you know, that you missed a period or, you know, that you're watching this that, to even know that you're pregnant. So that was passed nearly three years ago, and it was immediately had an injunction on it. So as soon as the decision came down, Yost filed to get it lifted, and eight hours later... I mean, I, I don't know how they just <laughs> they decided this so quickly. Other things take years to come out. But, hey, the court said, sure, the heartbeat ban can stay, can stand. Well, except that the whole reason it was being held up was because well, of Roe true. v. Wade. And so, I, you know, Yoast represents the state. And when one of its laws is being held back, he does have a responsibility to represent the state. That was passed by the legislature, signed by the governor. I'm not sure... Yost had much choice but to go but to court. But it was very quick. Yeah, but he, like, he also yeah. said that Roe was poorly reasoned, too. I mean, you know, he obviously was against it. And the thing that's kind of scary here is that he's acting, asking the uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland to hold violent protesters liable no matter what side they're on. But, hmm, I wonder who's going to get more prosecution in these protests. You know, there is the, the the logic that was used in this ruling to overturn Roe v. Wade has been discussed for decades. And Congress has known that there have been times when Democrats controlled Congress. They could have passed a law that enshrined abortion in state law in case this day came. And they didn't. And a lot of state legislatures have had five decades to say, you know, we have a ruling that says this, but there's nothing behind that that protects it. I mean, it's it, it. I think everybody that's held elected office that believes in a woman's right to choose takes some of the blame for not enshrining this in the law on the in case this day came because it's been predicted a long time. But laws can be repealed, Chris. I mean, that's not enshrined for all time. Well, the way you right? enshrine it is if you change constitutions and state Con constitutions. I mean, that's true, but but and you know, merely passing a state law would not have done. No, that. but a federal law, I, I, it would be difficult for the Congress to over change that. Uh, in many ways because of how strongly people feel about it. They just didn't. They, they left it hinged on a court ruling that many have been attacking for a long time and Donald Trump got into office, packed the court with people that would do just that even though they said different things when they were up for right. election. So, Laura, how... It's interesting. Oh, go ahead, oh, go, go ahead, ahead. Layla. No, I was just going to say, you know, you mentioned the Clarence Thomas uh, concurring opinion and and the, the things that he intimated about um, you know, the, the suggestion that the Supreme Court should consider overturning other landmark decisions, including you know, the decisions granting rights to contraception and, and same-sex intimacy and marriage. And, and you know, I saw a tweet over the, over the weekend. Um, you know, it, was, it was actually from um, the actor Samuel L. Jackson, and he mentioned that 
notably, Thomas Thomas's opinion didn't mention the possibility of losing the right to interracial marriage that's protected by the Loving versus Virginia uh, mm-hmm. decision. Does anyone else thought? Did anyone else note that that was no, not mentioned among his? And of course, Clarence Thomas is married and, and, to a and, white woman. And people have. Um, is that a vulnerability? Yeah. And people have said that, you know, if Clarence Thomas dies or leaves the court, that they will probably go to Loving versus Virginia and try to overturn that as well. So, man. Okay, so Laura, how available are abortions today in Ohio? There are nine, or sorry, six, sorry, let me check that. Nine abortion clinics in the state, around 20,000 abortions performed there every year. Um, and it's not who you would think that it would be you know so zach um zach broke down the zachary smith broke down the numbers for us and abortions in 2019 like 59 percent of them for ages 20 to 29 28 percent for ages 30 to 39 about 15 percent are for married parents and patients uh 64 of people received an abortion in 2019 already had one living child and 60% had never had an abortion before. So we think there's this stereotype, right, that it's always like a young person, um, not of means having an abortion, but it, it runs the gamut, the whole spectrum. And actually, Ohio abortions have been cut nearly in half since 1999. The sharpest decline has been among teenagers. And that's basically they've been restricting abortion rights bill by bill as this all goes along. But one other thing that I found a stat that was really interesting was that 90% nationally of abortions are performed at 13 weeks or sooner and about half are done with pills. So I think there's this really awful connotation about late term abortions and they're all being medical procedures. And, and that's just not the case. Lisa had mentioned Jim Obergefell. We heard mm-hmm. from Mr. Obergefell. He was the, the namesake of the same sex marriage ruling from I think it was 2016 uh, 2015 uh, mm-hmm. 2015 yeah what did he have to say well he basically said that he wasn't surprised and he's in Ohio um, he's running for the Ohio House as a Democrat he said you know we've been watching the Ohio House kind of denigrate rights for years now the the, the transgender uh, women bill from playing sports in high school that's a, that passed the Ohio House that hasn't officially become a law yet but there's uh, the Ohio House introduced a bill that put limitations on school instruction um, with this don't say gay bill he said you know he, he's watching these rights just just disappear and he's not surprised he said but today is all about women losing their right to make decisions about their own body it's about government overreach and about invasion of privacy so obviously he is running for election so he used this time to make a statement but he is the landmark case right that's his name his name was referenced in the supreme court decision so um yeah he he used this to take a to make a statement well and if you're willing to throw out a 50-year precedent they'll be quick to throw out a seven-year precedent and and i've read some you know legal opinions you know that have said okay if if they're if the constitution doesn't guarantee the right to an abortion then it doesn't guarantee the right to privacy either because abortion is a privacy matter so is griswold which was you know contraception for married couples lawrence uh the sodomy law in texas that was overturned in 2003 another privacy issue so if they use that argument that there's no right to privacy then a whole lot of things could fall 
The sad thing was is Justice Roberts laid the path that would, was proper for the court. He's saying, we don't have to rule on Roe v. Wade. That's not what's before us. What's before us is a very specific law, and that's what the court generally does. We don't reach further than we're asked to, but this is activist judges. It's hilarious mm-hmm. because the Republicans are the ones that complain all the time about activist judges. These these three that have been added are the activists and they are using their weight. That's why the the clause in Alito's ruling saying this is just about this ruling. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's about them all. They will be coming for them. So yeah, I, I saw a, re- a statement from a conservative group. They ended up having a rally at the state house on Friday, and they said that the democracy has spoken. And you're like, how? What? Like, if, if you look at all of the polls, that's not democracy. That is activism. Well, I guess they're saying that Donald Trump was elected president, and this is what he did. This is the result of democracy. It's the result of Donald Trump being elected president. Layla, once abortion is illegal in Ohio, women will have to go to other states if they have the means. Reporter Laura Hancock talked to some groups that plan to help them. What are they doing to get ready? Yeah, these these funds that Laura Hancock wrote about are, are doing the important work of, of circumnavigating this court decision by helping Ohio women with the costs of an abortion out of state from gas and hotel rooms to child care and, and the procedure itself. The funds are called Women Have Options Ohio, which is 30 years old, and then Faith Choice Ohio, which has been around for decades but just started its abortion fund. Women Have Options has helped about 550 patients this year, and in addition to providing direct assistance to women, they also provide clinics with block grants to help low-income Ohioans with the cost of an abortion, and they have a phone line where people seeking abortions can leave a message and then they get a call back from a patient navigator within 48 hours. And those navigators are women who have experienced abortions and can walk a woman through what to expect if she's planning on having one. In anticipation of of an outright abortion ban in Ohio, Women Have Options is, is developing a legal support program too. And then there's Faith Choice Ohio. They've also been around for about 30 years, mostly training faith leaders across the state about how to help people lean into their pro-abortion values and speak about it in public. They've recently launched their pro-abortion fund with $40,000 in seed money and other donations. They operate under this really very interesting model. They distribute money directly to faith leaders who are protected by laws and rules of evidence known as priest penitent privilege or confessional privilege. Basically, a religious leader can't be compelled to testify against someone who shared personal information while visiting them for spiritual guidance, even if what they told the spiritual leader was something unlawful. So in this case, about their intention to seek an abortion. So for for folks out there who have been trying to figure out how they can support women's right to choose despite the Supreme Court decision, they might want to consider getting behind these valiant efforts. You know, Lisa, you and I have lived long enough to have been around before Roe v. Wade when it was illegal. And I was looking at some old newspaper articles in the Plain Dealer to look at what the conditions were back then. And I saw that religious leaders in Cleveland had formed a group to counsel women that wanted to have abortion. And if they maintained that they wanted to have an abortion, help them get them, even though they were illegal in Ohio. It was a cross-section of ministers that recognized the woman's right to choose. You you just wonder if the same climate develops now. 
No, Lisa. I don't know if that'll happen among faith leaders. We'll see. I mean, obviously, there are some churches who feel that it's a, a right and others that don't. So it'll be interesting to see how this comes out. But yes, there was quite an underground network pre-1973. Unfortunately, you know, you have the view of back alley abortions, which did happen, but there was actually like an underground network of professionals and faith leaders and community leaders that got women safe abortions. And that that's going to happen again. If they think that people are going to stop having abortions and, you know, and, and, you know, give it back to the states where you're going to have to drive who knows how far to get an abortion. Obviously, some people can't do that. So I think that underground network is going to reform if it ever went away. Yeah, I also heard from a couple of Intel stockholders that are going to go to Intel and say, you ought to hold up your deal in Ohio if they continue down this road. Well, that's going to happen. Companies are going to be called to account. Where do you stand? You saw Dick's Sporting Goods immediately came out and said they would provide money to employees to travel to states where abortions are legal. People are also pointing out Dick's Sporting Goods has contributed to many of the politicians who want to outlaw abortion. Interesting stuff. It's a topic we'll be talking about again. It was worth a deep dive today. You are listening to Today in Ohio. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. As expected, the Ohio Supreme Court did reject Secretary of State Frank LaRose's underhanded efforts to keep Democrats off the special election ballot in August, even though the overseas version of those ballots had been mailed. Lisa, what did the court rule, and what happens now? On Friday, the Ohio Supreme Court voted 4-3 to three to allow six Democratic candidates to appear on the August 2nd primary ba- uh, ballot. That was a reversal of Secretary of State Frank LaRose's decision to leave them off because of disagreement over the 90-day filing deadline, which, of course, changed with all the different maps and everything else. So this broke down along the familiar lines in the Supreme Court, voting to uh, allow these candidates on the ballot, Maureen O'Connor, Jennifer Bruner, Melody Stewart, and Michael Donnelly. Their opinion, they stated that state law says 90 days before the election. So, you know, that would not be February 2nd for the August 2nd election, and it would be 72 days for any write-in candidates. Uh, Sharon Kennedy, Patrick Fisher, and Patrick DeWine on the dissent wrote that all candidates should have been rejected. Unfortunately, LaRose mailed overseas and military ballots last week without these names. He's reviewing the opinion and has no comment right now, but I don't know, There's can they take those ballots back? I, are they going to mail another ballot? They really haven't said at this point. Yeah, I, th- this was obvious that they had to do this. The state law was clear, and LaRose really was playing a f- politics to keep Democrats off the ballot. Republicans all ultimately got involved, but this was really about the Democrats. And shame on the three justices who said they should have been rejected. This is not about partisan politics. It's about what's right. And they filed within the correct timeline I I continue to be surprised that people say 
Frank LaRose has done a pretty good job as Secretary of State. He's making it harder for people to be on the ballot. It's not what you're supposed to well, do. Well, I, I have completely changed my opinion of Frank LaRose since I came on the editorial board. At first, I thought he was kind of fair and kind of walked that tightrope, you know, in between, you know, good and bad or whatever you want to say. But And I thought he handled the uh, pandemic election pretty well, but he has really gone to the dark side since then. Yeah, he really has. And, and we figured the Supreme Court would slap him silly, and they did. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Remember Cleveland Rising? It was that multi-day effort to bring together lots of people from various walks of life to imagine how Cleveland could become a city of prosperity for all. Just published a report listing how it succeeded and how it did not. Laura, the story we wrote should have disclosed that I was part of the organizing team for that. I'm the, it's always bad when we have a story in which I was a participant. We don't disclose it. Disclosing it here, what's the upshot of the report? Basically, that it, it was well-meaning but doesn't have a lot of results. And honestly, this is how I thought it would end up, like a, a well-meaning kumbaya. But every couple of years, we get these really big philanthropy business pushes, and we're going to figure out how to make Cleveland shine and come up with the next big technology and solve all of the, our problems. And then it's like nothing. I mean, you look at Blockland, I feel like they're sort of similar. But this new report um, about the 600-person endeavor, so it was, it was a huge effort. It blames COVID in part, and you can't completely discount that because – for months after, they were showing progress. It kicked off in October 2019. It was a three-day summit at Public Auditorium. And the whole goal was to bring people from all different backgrounds, ethnicities, worldviews together to exchange these ideas. They were divided into working group on different goals. I believe there were magic markers involved. Correct me if I'm wrong. But but the idea was they were going to come not up. not wrong. Not wrong? There were markers? Okay. <laughs> Lots of Lots markers. Lots of markers. Okay. <laughs> and so these, these groups met for three days and then they kept meeting afterwards with really big, lofty, topics about you know they wanted to eliminate all health disparities they wanted no more food deserts they wanted wraparound services for everyone needed that then they wanted universal child care and access, uh, accessible parental leave and so these are not things that you can solve quickly and definitely while you've got a pandemic that kind of takes precedence over everything else one of the ways i think they pulled their punches is that when you talk to people privately they talk about how Frank Jackson refused to let anybody from the city participate. Some city officials mm. actually signed up and then had to back out. If you don't have buy-in across the board as you're trying to remove the the boundaries to try and get rid of all of the isolation, then it's not going to work. And it was biz Frank Jackson was across the street and never stepped foot into his public hall to even welcome the people together. And so I know that years later people look back and say that was a, a major um, failing. Armin Budish, on the other hand, did participate. I don't know that you yeah. can call it a failure when you get, whatever it was, 600 people from various backgrounds together to dream about what the city could be. Um, it is almost impossible to get anything done when you have 600 people involved. Right. But remember, this is the place where the idea of making RTA free really got some traction. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, it's never a bad idea to talk about the future and come up with it. But I just don't love that this is always like, this is going to be it. 
this is so different from every other attempt before, and this is going to fix it. Um, but they did talk about how the fact that there were so many people actually made it very difficult to agree on anything and figure out the next steps. And also that it was so grassroots, they didn't really have access to the leaders in every issue. And so it was hard to get anything done. And so, yeah, yeah you want to include everyone, but you also want to have the, the people who can make it happen involved, like yeah. you said about Jackson. I mean, Layla, you remember there was yes. a rudimentary misunderstanding of how certain elements of government work. People would say Absolutely. things and there was nobody to say, okay, but you know, the laws require X and Y. And so right. um, it, that, that, that was, that kept holding up the conversations because they would go down a path that was an absolute impossibility. That's right. You know, I, I remember sitting in on one, one group that went on and on and on for hours. I won't disclose exactly what they were working on, but the, the end result of it was that they had decided that there should be the formation of this one, you know, particular kind of, of entity, one, one body, one sort of like sub-governmental. And then somebody suggested, well, actually, that already exists. Uh. And then that was that was the result of hours of work. And then everyone's like, well, we should get that group to work better. How do we do that? And everyone just sort of was deflated at the end of that. And it was just just I don't know. I feel like I could have I could have written the advance obit of this <laughs> right, right after right after the event. Ended. Such cynicism in such young I was, people. I know. I, it, You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's try and do one more short one. We reached out to legal experts to ask whether Deshaun Watson's decision to settle lawsuits against him was really the only practical option available to him. Lisa, I thought reporter Corey Schaefer's story on this was one of the best things we published in the past week. What did we find? Yeah, he talked to three different uh, legal experts, two of them here in Cleveland and one a New York attorney, and they basically agreed. They say that settlements are really, really common in these kind of cases and usually the best option, even if they're falsely accused. Andrew Brettler, who's a New York attorney who's represented actor Chris Noth and Prince Andrew as clients, said going to trial means a lot of years in court, continued media scrutiny, mounting attorney fees, and then in Watson's case, it would affect team morale because they're going through it along with him. He also said, if you go to trial, you have to win. Uh, Ian Friedman, a Cleveland attorney who represents those of, uh, accused of sexual misconduct, says, quote, how much of your life do you want to give up for this? Can you pay and move on? Fighting all 24 claims would take years. Now, Larry Zuckerman, also a Cleveland attorney, he represents athletes. He took a slightly different tack. He says, if you didn't do anything wrong, you maintain your innocence and you fight for it. He said settlements can encourage other accusers to speak out, but he did agree that uh, you know a spectacle like this is a distraction and it's a very delicate balance. But in his experience with his clients he says he's done better fighting in court i there is something to the idea where if you really believe you didn't do anything wrong you fight it that's what matt borges is doing at hb6 he is going down hard and if he's truly innocent it'll be a long expensive battle that takes a lot out of him but he says i'm gonna clear my name that, that I, you know zuckerman Zuckerman has a point, mm -hmm. right? Uh, he does. But, you know, then again, I, I mean, 
uh, Busby, Tony Busby is his expert at manipulating the media. He would have kept this front and center for until the trials all went to trial. I mean, and even afterwards. So, I mean, that kind of scrutiny, do you really want to go through that? I mean, it ruins your reputation that way. Yeah, look at yeah, look at Johnny Depp. He ultimately prevailed in that trial, but there was a lot of damage. Anyway, it's a great story by Corey Safer. Take it out on Cleveland.com. It'll uh, make you think a little bit more about this case in a way you have not. That does it for an episode of Today in Ohio on a Monday morning. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back on Tuesday to be talking about the news. 